Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What's going on, everybody? We are live with Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 184. Apologies for uh, no description or anything. Facebook Live, the past couple times we've tried to go live, just messing up. Thanks, Mr. Zuckerberg. Appreciate you. Uh, but as always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automall, Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. Got a lot to dive into tonight. What's going on, man? I would normally say living the dream, but if my dream is 24-degree weather, I, like, I'm a very bad dreamer. Yeah, not at all. Uh, and last night, that Sixers game was almost a nightmare, uh, but they squeaked it out 98-97 to against the Cavs. Hey, that's good for us. We uh, have had some problems beating the Cavs at home last year. So so at least they, they get the win. Uh, ben rocking the, the t-shirt underneath, more than likely to cover up any sort of you know tape that they had on his shoulder. But good to see him back. And gave me, uh, uh, It gave me extreme Fultz flashbacks to his, uh, <laughs> which is very fitting seeing as we're playing very the Very true. Tonight, but. Um, but what were your thoughts on uh, just them able to, you know, eke out that win no Horford last night part of his uh just rest regimen but they couldn't buy a three at all Tobias early on terrible but then down the stretch made some big shots did it when it counted most my physical reaction I think is the reaction to the entire Sixers season so far which is um you can I think you can be as positive as you want about the Sixers team and I also think you can be as negative as you want. And it's sort of I get I guess it's just the type of person or even the type of mood that you might be in, um, as as to kind of what your take is. And I think it's a mix of both really, but I think there's a lot to be gleaned from that you should be happy about, not even just about last night, but you know, ten games in the season we had like our our rounded, you know, uh sample sizes and um you have to say the Sixers with Embiid going to be out tonight. We'll see what that's like. But he's missed some game time. Horford missed some. Ben missed two games. Um, you know, like that's a good position to find yourself in. And Cleveland's a scrappy team. They're not. Uh, they're they're going to be one of the worst teams in the East, of course. But you know, they're they're not. I wouldn't say they're openly tanking, but they're they're definitely not looking to win. Um, but that's again a team that we lost at home to uh, when we were on a pretty good stretch last year. So they've always kind of given us some issues and. Um, it was a sloppy game, and what's weird, too, is, like, not a lot of fouls either, and that's kind of atypical for a, a Sixers game. I mean, we only shot, I think, 13 free throws, which Embiid, on, on his best nights, so, you know, he'll have about eight or nine games a season where he'll get, you know, 13, 14-plus free throws. Um, so a little bit strange there, but, yeah, Tobias' struggles, I think, are going to be 
we we I, I think we said this even two weeks ago that Tobias was going to be the very big like rock in this season on terms of uh, debate and it, pretty much as soon as he signed that contract I thought it was going to be an issue and yeah not, la- performances like last night don't help now obviously. Uh, come to find out, he was kind of working through the stomach flu or just the regular flu. I can't quite remember which one it is. Either way, you know, he's playing sick. He's playing it well. You would definitely expect that to hamper performance. The issue is, is that, uh, unfortunately, that performance is one that we've seen when he's totally healthy. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and if, like, you know, I- I'm willing to give players a long leash, especially with the Sixers, where I think this team is a little more playoff focused than they are necessarily regular season. But, um, you know, yes, he may he he was sick yesterday, right? I don't even think they're like lying about it or anything. Um, but again, the, like that exact type of shooting night is what we've seen from Tobias a lot uh, since his his move from LA, and that's concerning. Now, again, last night you could say you know a lot of open threes missed, which are atypical, and you'd expect to go in. And um, again, him being sick that definitely throws it off. But it was strange, and I think what was even more odd about it is I'd imagine going into the game you obviously know he's sick but yet he took 11 threes which is almost what he was shooting for the entire season so far (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't quite get that game you would think if one of your and again with Horford out one of your main scorers is sick you know but you know that he's not going to be playing at his best physical potential you'd probably want to like lessen the load a bit and I mean you have Embiid for last night again I would imagine it's some sort of plan that he was going to be rested tonight uh, that's the vibe that's the tweet that we're all getting um, so I don't I don't know why we were depend. what my point is I don't know why we were so dependent on Tobias when I think we we knew that he probably wasn't gonna have a good game because he's sick so we get you know just I think get ready to talk about Tobias literally for the next five years or we, until he's traded. We I said that, too, at the beginning of the year. Yeah. We said Tobias could be this team's kind of, like, scapegoat, and here we are, not even a full month, really, into the season yet, and he's everybody's, like, public enemy number one. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's because people have kind of grown tired of the Ben Simmons argument, and that it's fun to now yell about something else. And again, I think this is where it comes in about the... Uh, you know, you can be as positive as you want about this team, or you can be as negative as you want. And I think to defend Tobias in some ways, shooting 60% from two, um, that's pretty good. <laughs> and you would imagine, like, it's just so weird. You would imagine at some point the three-point shooting comes around. At some point it has to. Like, I I, I don't know what it is. Unless he's broken two, I, 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 I hope he isn't. But I think you'd have to imagine at some point he at least gets around to 35 36% from three. You know, he was shooting above that. He was shooting around 39-40 before, but I, I'm not sure we'll ever get that back. Um, but, he, he, you know, and he's, he's shooting well from mid-range, and, you know, he's not shying away from shots either. It's not like he, this is a guy that's – I think it takes a lot of confidence to still go out there and shoot when you're 0 for 9 and 0 for 10. Like, that's not an easy thing to do, and I'm sure he's well aware that he's not having a good night, and he's obviously not feeling well either. Um, so – Mentally, I think he's still strong-willed, and, and he's a confident player. And he's had good performances this year either. I don't want to make it out to seem like he's been totally washed this entire season. But um, just with the contract that he's receiving, you want more. And I think the problem is he is literally never going to justify that contract. I think it's, it's pretty safe to say. And people are always going to want that extra step from him. That is just never going to uh, materialize. Like, he's... 
he's improved every year that he's been in the NBA. That's been that's like Tobias's like you know under his basketball reference. That's like his nickname is <laughs> improves every year, Harris. Like, but you know he has a ceiling still, and his ceiling really isn't that the max player that he is right now. You know, unfortunately, and um, I I think the sooner people realize that and kind of make their peace with it, that yes, he's a little overpaid, but. You know, we we had to overpay him to to keep a, a competitive team together, and this uh, this Sixers team so much isn't is like it's not the ideal hand that you've ever been dealt, but it's a winnable hand, and just roll with it because like it's you can't change it, you can't you can't swap your cards out because you're all in, um, but just enjoy the ride, I think, and just hope you get something on the flop. I don't know. <laughs> so. With, uh, you know, all that Tobias stuff, last night you said, obviously, 0 for 11 in 33 minutes, 8 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists. And sure, sick, whatever it may be, this team has had gastroenteritis for, you know, years. <laughs> gastroenteritis is the, uh, didn't get enough sleep last night and wants a day off. Yeah. That's, I think when he says he has a stomach flu, I think that's legitimate. He was, he was coming out both ends. Um, for Ken Korkmaz kind of came back down to earth. <laughs> God uh, I think it's fair to say, sure, Korkmaz has been playing well, but this overreacting, like... Watch what you say here now, guy. I, I am full aware of what I am saying. It is getting out of hand. Uh, you are about to bring the wrath of the Ottoman Empire on you. <laughs> you just want <laughs> to really be careful about what you say. Um, I, I still thought Furkan was actually... He's, he's been pretty good this he's year. He's been good. And I'm, I'm not someone that's like gonna like stretch my neck out for him either i thought even defensively he looked pretty good at times last night he didn't look lost like he has in in last year and yeah that's the thing with Corkmans though and i think a lot of the other role players and we had this conversation about james ennis and you know i think again so much of like the regular season is just patience and understanding there's going to be a lot of variance in the game and yeah, Korkmaz, who knew, isn't going to have a stellar shooting night every single night. He's not going to, you know, play the doors off the place. And um, that's the reason that he's a role player and, and not a guaranteed starter and not making huge money. And the, that's why those guys get paid the way they do. And um, Yeah, but I, I, I don't want to be too negative on Korkmaz because uh, I think he's been, he's been a pretty bright asset so far this season. Not to say that he's been you know, so outstanding. I just mm-hmm. think the, the expectations for him were like, very low, at least to me personally. I Definitely, was same. Maybe like a, he's going to be like a DNP most nights, and he's kind of become a pretty pretty important. I mean, he started a game, you know, mm-hmm. like that's not that's not nothing, you know. Oh, definitely. He uh, he's you people just have to realize he's going to have games like he had last night too, along with the way he's been playing. You know, during this you know hot run he's had. He's going to come back down to earth, and, you know, it's going to happen. So you just have to take the what he gives you with the good. You also have to realize that Furkan Korkmaz that we've dealt with for the past couple years is still Furkan Korkmaz that we've dealt with for the past couple years, and those games are going to surface more often, I think, as we go on because I think we can honestly say nobody can sustain the, the hot stretch that he's had for, you know, the course of an entire season. Yeah, and again, if if Korkmaz is uh, maybe the next coming of Michael Jordan, I don't know, but um, I, I do expect a little inconsistency from him. But, you know, like, to get back to the game last night, I mean, it was sloppy, but those are the types of games that you want to see the Sixers pull out in the end. And, you know, there's like that 
cliche of I'd rather win ugly than lose ugly, you know, like, okay, yeah, I'll take it, I'll, I'll take, listen, I'm happy with just padding the win column as much as we can, you know, at this stage of the season, we had some kind of rough losses on that road trip, kind of had a game stolen from us in Denver, it was a little annoying, um, a little bit. you know, and just kind of roll with it, and, and yeah, you know, sitting in the position we are now, we have the Magic tonight, which is a pretty tough matchup, they've been, they've been really good so far this season, strong defensive team, they gave us issues last year, um, I'm excited. I'm excited about the way this season has gone, and you know, again, I, you can take any, any of the storylines from these first ten games and make it as negative or as positive as you like. And that's just, I think this team's going to be very polarizing in many ways. Um, but I think again, you just look at the broad context here. You know, again, missing Embiid, we're going to miss him again tonight, and then the injuries and the illnesses, all that, and that it's a completely new roster again that Brett Brown has had to kind of rebuild and retool, and that guys are kind of missing these, missed a lot of wide open threes this year, which is frustrating, but you know that that's something that's going to kind of swing back in your favor at some point this season. They're going to get that back. So I think the Sixers have played well. And yeah. you know what? I loved, by the way, I think it's been talked about quite a bit already, but. That last play to win us the game was yes. spectacular. I think one criticism, or maybe not necessarily criticism of Brown, but I think when people were really high on the Celtics, one of the things that people like would beat over everyone's head about Brad Stevens was how good he is at after play, after timeout plays. You know, like in that, you know, they they always score. They have a really good success rate, and you know, I think. We kind of wanted that from Brett. We wanted that more like strategic, tactical sense that we didn't always feel was there. And it's not that like last night changes the broad landscape of like how we view Brett Brown. And I will always remember that play against Cleveland. <laughs> but it's just like we've seen pieces of that. We've seen that in in the past year or so, where we've seen late game plays like that actually work really effectively. And again, the more you do it, the more practice you get at it obviously the more skills you are at it and I think the more comfortable you also are in those positions this is again a a weird team in that you have some players that you know I think like guys like Embiid and Simmons do have some playoff experience now they've been you know they've lost really hard games they've won really hard games um, but the more more reps you can get in like high pressure situations like that and an understanding of who kind of steps up or who has what role in those situations, the better. For, again, a team that has been retooled again and has some new faces and some young faces that, you know, Richardson hasn't really been in the playoffs right. to, to like in a meaningful way in his career. Um, so you put him in those situations where he's, you know, the ball handler to win the game. That's that's big. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I I liked seeing that. I like seeing that Brett, and I may not even necessarily been Brett. Maybe an assistant kind of drew that up as well. But it, Brett will get the credit for that for that play and uh, well executed. Nice to have uh, you know the last thirty seconds of a game go in our favor, uh, which was which is great. Not something we've we had uh, you know in, in Denver, unfortunately. But you know, I'm I'm satisfied with the win in that I don't. I don't like to nitpick just one performance, right? I think I like to look at the broader sense. And through 10 games, I think you have to say this team has been very good, um, especially when you add in all the context of the injuries and that this is, again, <laughs> for Brett's like 80th straight season, it's a brand new team. <laughs> and that he's had to completely rethink about how he's going to have this team play. I think sitting at 7-3, and three, you're right at the top of the East where you were expected to be. You, you can't complain. And your best win of the season still, your most competent, most great win so far was opening that against Boston. And, I mean, 
That's a pretty good. That's Dude, a pretty good flag to fly through who, into December. Hopefully. Who did Boston lose to again? Uh, the the Philadelphia 76ers right. on opening night in a blowout. We should add. Don't forget it. Um, but this stretch of games is what, like you said, you need to pad the wins after that that rough road trip, and this is what they're doing. You know, you kicked it off against the Hornets, should beat them. Cavs squeaked it out. Now you got the Magic, which will be probably the toughest test of this little stretch run here, and then you go to Oklahoma City. Go to Cleveland again, and then you come back home for a nice three-game home stretch against the Knicks. You play against the Spurs, which will be a fun little test from a, another Western Conference team. And then uh, met that Saturday, November twenty-third game at home, seven thirty p.m. against the Miami Heat. It's also the Mike Scott Hive tailgate game. We will be there having fun before the game at the watch party at Xfinity Live and all the post-game shenanigans as well. Make sure you RSVP with, uh, you know, the the link. Everybody's tweeted it out. Our girl Zaynebs tweeted it out. Her and the rest of, uh, you know, the people putting this thing on. It's going to be a blast. We will be there having a, a grand old time. So make sure you are uh, going to the Mike Scott Hive tailgate because we're going to have a blast. Uh, and you can follow a new kind of local centralized Twitter. It's Mike Scott underscore Hive. That's where all of the news and stuff will be put out. Uh, so do yourself a favor, follow that, get all the info that you need, and uh, stay up to date there before that game. But Jonah Bolden today was sent down to the Delaware Bluecoats. I wouldn't be shocked, as we've uh, been on the Bluecoats beat now for the past couple games, and gotten to see one Marielle Shayok do the damn thing. I would not be shocked if Shayok uh, potentially gets a, a mini call-up here to kind of just showcase a little bit off the bench. He is a a sweet stroker, and it's it's weird because, you know, uh, I th- I think making the step up from G League to the NBA is difficult, especially when you talk about a contending team too, which isn't necessarily looking for diamonds in the rough. Of course, they want them, but not like a team that's sort of stripping it down and looking for assets under every rock. And typically, what we see when we see G League players make the step up, it's usually guys that have these like transferable defensive or athletic skills that are just. You know, you know will translate a lot easier than someone who's who's. Jake is a great scorer, um, but yeah, I think he's he's certainly playing like a guy who who should be in the NBA, and it's it's a it's a difficult situation to find yourself in. Where I hope he hope he isn't like a kind of a tweener. You know, this guy that is a little too good for the G League, but not quite good enough for like sustained time in the NBA. But you know, I think he's 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 worth a shot. And I mean, he. You draft these guys for a reason. You do your homework for a reason, um, and it's to hope that they they pay off down the line. And I think it'd be great, obviously, to have. I think everyone would love like the kind of story that he would have. You know, going from working his way up, you know, through the G League back into the NBA. Of course, he's only been down the G League for a few games. It's not like he's two games. Yeah, but, but you know, like I, you know, I I think that'd be great. And if he does get a call up, I think that'd be uh, that'd be an awesome moment. Yeah, so through two games, uh, and Monday night was just an absolute blast to watch Shayok play. He uh, he went through parts of the third quarter before committing his thir- his first turnover of the game, which is something that has plagued this Sixers team for a very long time. Uh, and at that point, he had zero turnovers and 28 points. So he was just, you know, an absolute force. But through two games, he's averaging 38 points in about... 32 minutes a game. Uh, he's shooting the three at a, a decent rate, just about 38%. And uh, 
you know, he's rebounding, averaging about seven and a half rebounds a game, three assists, and only three turnovers through two games. So I've been thoroughly impressed from what I've seen from Mariel Shayok and uh, just watching it up close to he arguably every night, the two games that the Blue Coats have played, he's been the best player on the court. Yeah, and I mean I think, you know, too, you have to say he's he's an incredibly experienced player. Um and that that'll obviously help and I think he's he's very mature and he's he's a polished player and I think this is what we talked about when we drafted him too. He's a little bit of an unknown, I think, but um you know, when you go and watch and read about him, especially in his, his final year in college, he kinda had, so to speak, like the 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 shackles taken off where he was sort of given a lot more of an offensive role and he and he thrived in that situation. This isn't a guy that, you know, was averaging like seven, eight points. Like he really stepped up in his final year in college to be an elite scorer. And um yeah, I mean if that can translate now to the NBA level, that's impressive. And I think again for the Sixers ultimately good. You know, we I think we kind of all scoffed a little bit about the kind of valuation of second rounders this past draft and you know the Carson Edwards thing and all all that mess. Um, but you know if if you can still find value, which we did, you know with with Thibel, you know late in the first and yeah, you know if, if Shaq becomes something, that's great. You know I, I think that's that's only it's only good news for for him to be successful as a Sixer. Yeah, and uh, also getting to watch Zaire play uh, the first two games of the season for the Blue Coats. After the first game, you know he said. He, uh, he was a little tired after playing, you know, the elevated minutes, but he kind of caught his second uh, wind throughout the game. But uh, Zaire still has a lot of rust to, to knock off early on so far this year, um, just scoring-wise. And uh, he told us, you know, in, in media availability after game one, he said, uh, you know, it's, it's the story of his life is that he is unselfish. Like, he's going to distribute the ball. It's kind of just an instinct for him. And uh, you know, the coaches have been telling him he's got to be more aggressive, got to kind of, you know, find his own shot as well as distribute the ball. But through the first two games, you know, I think it's still kind of getting his legs back under him. But Zaire definitely will be down with Delaware, I think, for quite some time just to give him that consistent time to just get ready and get back into that shape where the Sixers kind of drafted him for. Yeah, and I think um, his situation reminds me a lot of uh... – in, in Europe when soccer players get injured you know European clubs have like U23 teams and you because you know, they have academies that mm-hmm. kind of grow through and what they'll do with senior players who are working their way back from injuries they'll send them to play with you know the U23s or whatever and very similar I think in a way to the kind of system that the NBA wants to have with G League teams I think in a sense at least um, so he's kind of you know again a guy that we forgot just kind of what terrible physical shape he was in because of the fact that, you know, he almost died. Um, he was in a tremendously uh, traumatic and impactful medical emergency. And that doesn't that's not something that you just come back from right away. Right. Um, and it, it is going to take some time for him to work on that side of his game. And, you know, again, outside of even just physically being active, you know, you if you lose however many months of even touching a basketball, you know, working out and practicing, um, yeah, that's that's going to just add to your recovery time on that end as well. It's not even just a, you know, a leg break, right, or something. You know, like this is something that was much, much more serious, much more unique than any kind of uh, other injury or other scenario that we really frequently see in the NBA. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised that he's kind of taking the the longer view on this because I think that's probably what the organization has been uh, telling him as well. And yeah, I think it's all looking out for his best interest in terms of you know his 
success as a sixer you know like being a a valuable member of like the rotation but um yeah i think i'm a little surprised because i just i didn't i don't think i quite realized that zaire was gonna kind of need the time that he he's gonna need this year especially after we watched him kind of play in the preseason and look really good i mean even at the end of last season you saw him kind of come in Mm -hmm. i was like okay we like you know i'm i'm excited for this so again though i think patience is the the best practice with this and um you know clearly there's a, there's a plan with him and that's that's good and you know hopefully we see him you know back with the nba team soon but um i i think again we kind of have to let him just it's better to be almost like over prepared in in a situation like this than bring him up and still be a little a little too rusty a little too green um and then hopefully, you know, he gets back to, to where he needs to be, like, physically and hopefully mentally, too. You know, I'm sure it wasn't easy for him with all the injury stuff and then and, and the illness and then, you know, kind of working way back and then getting sent down. Like, I hope, you know, he's fully confident, fully prepared to, to go forward and be, and I have no doubts that he is, you know, someone that's going to give 110% to, to be back with the Sixers. For sure. And, you know, we're on the Blue Coats beat all season long, so you can follow us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI for all those updates during the games and stuff. And uh, we'll have, you know, many worked in segments on the show throughout the season because we get that, you know, access and we're thankful to the Blue Coats for, uh, you know, giving us that opportunity. But, Matt, uh, we are coming off an Eagles bye week, a much-needed bye week, and uh, the highlight of it, Brandon Brooks becomes the highest paid guard in the NFL, signs a huge $54-plus million contract to stay with the Eagles for the next four years, essentially takes him through the rest of his career, $30 million guaranteed. And, you know, we we moan and gripe about Howie Roseman recently with his free agent signings, but Brandon Brooks is arguably a top three free agent signing that Howie's ever had and that this organization's ever had. Yeah, and um, you know, you talk about the season that he's had as well. Um, really, really impressive, and um, you know, I I'm looking forward to seeing how what uh what guarant- what guarantees can be like manipulated uh, this summer and next summer to create like an extra like five million in cap space. <laughs> well, the the best part I heard is that part of the contract extension counts towards the 2019 cap. So that's already kind of because we had the cap space. So how he's able to throw that onto this year, where moving forward it'll be you know alleviated a little less down the line. Our nerd, I love him. But uh, Brandon Brooks deserves it. One of the best people uh, on this team, just on and off the field. Uh, the way that he's been able to recover, like you said, from the the Achilles injury. The, the way that he's been so open and just able to kind of be a voice for, you know, people who deal with, you know, anxiety where he missed games uh, a few years ago because of his anxiety and everything. He's open about it. He is somebody that is at the forefront of, you know, making sure people feel comfortable talking about it. And uh, I'm just happy Brandon Brooks isn't going anywhere because along with Malcolm Jenkins, those two guys have been just absolute anchors for this team. And uh, he deserves, you know, whatever money they were going to throw at him. And uh, for him to be here kind of locked up along with, you know, Jason Kelsey here probably for the next three, four years if he doesn't decide to retire early. You've got Andre Dillard. You've got Lane Johnson. Sure, this offensive line's getting old, but they play at an elite level. And Brandon Brooks is one of the best, if not the best, offensive linemen in terms of guard play 
uh, in the NFL, and the Houston Texans have to be kicking themselves in the face for uh, letting him walk in free agency and giving $24 million to Brock Osweiler. I mean, especially considering that the Texans' biggest weakness is the offensive, offensive line. line. Um, and it's been that way forever, it feels like, at least. Um, yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that the offensive line for the Eagles has been a little bit like questionable over the past few years. And, you know, when you have a, a blue chip as it is, you, you hang on to it. And, um, you know, this is the price you pay for, for someone with that kind of talent. And, you know, I, I think any time, like, kind of, uh, whether it's record-breaking for guarantees or whatever, like, everyone kind of gets crazy about it for, like, the day or the, the week after and then forgets about it. And then, you know, it's not too long after the way it seems with just sports contracts as it is that that'll be broken this off season even. You know, like, it's just, just kind of the way it goes. And um, so I, I, I don't... I hope people don't focus too much on like the money aspect of it, just because if that's a, a as a fan, that's pretty irrelevant to me. Um, as long as it's not a uh, totally hindering, you know, the the future of the team, where it's like, why are we paying that guy that much money? But um, you know, it's it's not my not my check to sign at the end of the day. So I I don't really care all that much. So he Brandon Brooks gets his contract, and uh, it's Patriots Week. We are. Uh... Midway through, getting ready for the Eagles to take on the Patriots in that 425 primetime slot. Um, Tom Brady coming out and saying that that 2017 Super Bowl still haunts him to this day. Good. <laughs> Good to hear, Tom. Uh, I think it's absolutely hilarious that he still thinks about it, uh, especially after all of you know the accolades that he's been able to you know kind of pile up throughout his career that the Philadelphia Eagles beating him in the Super Bowl still keeps him up at night, still gives him nightmares. And uh, I hope the Eagles do the same thing to him on, on Sunday because it would be absolutely great to be able to kick off this this tough little two-game homestand with a win against the team that you took down to win the Super Bowl. Absolutely. And, um, you know, unfortunately what that means is the Patriots have all the – and they're coming off a bye as well. And uh, they have all the motivation you could ask for and – this, I, this is going to be a tough one, and in my mind, I, I'm a little bit expecting a loss just because I think I think this is such a hard team to play. This is the best defense I think the Eagles are going to play, by the way, uh, all season so far. I know the Bears are kind of suffocating, but I think the, the biggest issue is this secondary of the Patriots is like, I don't want to say it's an all-time defense, but like, I feel like we... It's this year's like... 2017 Jaguars, 2018 yeah. Bears. Like, every like, year you kind of have these teams that are really, really suffocating, and it's very difficult to throw on this team. And, you know, that's a big weakness of the Eagles as it stands right now to begin with, um, to have that completely negated. You know, you're, you're taking Carson almost completely out of the game, honestly. And that is, that is for me, a really, really big concern about this game. And, um, you know, Miles and Howard are going to have – a pretty big burden to bear, I think, on Sunday. And um, is this the first time the Eagles are playing at 4:25? By the way, I swear I'm they've had sure. like all one o'clock games. I'm pretty this sure year this or is Sunday the first 4:25. This is also on CBS rather than Fox, which is strange to me, just because usually the home team gets the uh, whatever the the broadcast network preferences. But I'm cool with some some CBS football because we do get uh, Jim Nance and Tony Romo in the booth, which should be very exciting to. Uh, listen to. I don't know about a lot of people who listen to our show, but I'm a big Tony Romo fan when he's Tony in the Romo's booth. Tony Romo's great. He's one of the, the best uh, you know, color analysts, but 
Um, this game's going to be interesting, especially since the Baltimore Ravens kind of gave everybody a bit of a blueprint in terms of what weapons to use against that Patriots defense. It's a lot of tight end usage. It's a lot of running back usage. Sure, Carson Wentz isn't Lamar Jackson. They're two totally different types of quarterbacks, but Carson is mobile, so you can use that to your advantage. And I think if you can you know, utilize your strengths right now, which are your running backs and your tight ends, you can find some success against this defense. Now, it'll be interesting, like, like you said, Stephon Gilmore, corner for the Patriots, potentially defensive player of the year. He's been having an unreal season. I don't really see a need for him to cover any of our wide receivers. Why waste him on a, you know, hobbled Alshon if he even plays because apparently he has an ankle injury. Um, I could potentially see Stephon Gilmore shadowing Zach Ertz because he is your number one pass catcher. You have know, that one... Who's, who's the one in their secondary? It's the cokehead. Ah, good old former Eagle Patrick Chung. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's uh, you know he's gonna be wired this game as well. So <laughs> he's got that extra kick, man. Jesus. I love I love the Pats fans' constant uh, excuses for for him and his off season shenanigans that were totally above the bar. Wonder uh, if he was hanging out with Dion Waiters. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> the, the Gummy Express oh, over there in Miami. Unbelievable, but. Yeah, I think this is going to be a really difficult game, and it's so we like it could go either way. You know, I think this this game could go either way. I know it's a little bit of a cop out, but um, I, I could absolutely see a pathway the Eagles win, and I, I think this will be a markedly close game as well. I don't I don't think either team is really in a position, even in terms of just weapons, because you think of the Patriots, mm-hmm. they're not a they're not like the the Patriots that we kind of grew up with, where it's like Tom Brady's going to throw for like three fifty and like three touchdowns every way. Like he's just that good, right? Like he's he's an aged Tom Brady, mm-hmm. and he's someone that isn't he's not mobile anymore. Really, he's not going to throw a lot. Really, he takes like a quarter and a half to like really look like himself again. Um, and even then, it's definitely a shadow of it. And even weapons wise, this isn't a team that has like. I may regret saying this, but this is this isn't a team that has like super explosive right. players. They, they don't even have Josh Gordon anymore. They have Julian Edelman. They have an older Mohamed Sanu, and they have Philip Dorsett, who you know has his his moments, and then they can't run the ball. Sony Michelle has been a disaster this year. James White is more of a pass catching running back, and then Matt Lacoste is their starting tight end, along with Benjamin Watson, who's like fifty thousand years old. And this is a team that's only lost one game this season. Yep. And then, you know, like that's you say all that, and then you remember that like the that's they are the a they are a rolling machine. Their defense has carried yes, them absolutely. so much more than the offense has this year, and that's why I think if the Eagles can get the running backs going and the tight ends going in this game, you're gonna have you know kind of a, a pound for pound heavyweight fight again, like you did in the Super Bowl almost, where you kind of just go back and forth. With is, these offenses. Is this going to be like the antithesis of the Super Bowl where that was like a full-on just absolute offensive match and this is just going to be like 13-10? <laughs> I wouldn't be shocked. I could see that happening where it's kind of just the defenses step up. The Eagles defense has looked much better in these last two games that they've played against Buffalo and against the Bears. Anything can happen. And uh, I'm also very glad that the Eagles did not claim Vernon Hargraves off of waivers. Twitter was hot for uh, former first-round pick Vernon Hargraves, who, guys, he's not good. 
that's why he got cut. You know, he, he was drafted in 2016. He's a corner. He was drafted for his speed and his ability to kind of track the ball. And uh, he has two interceptions in his career. Avante Maddox has not even played two full seasons and has two interceptions in his career. There was no need to go and get Vernon Hargraves and put a, a mediocre cornerback into a, a group that is playing well right now, that has chemistry with each other, that is one together. Um, so I'm glad Vernon Hargraves went to the Texans and we don't got to worry about him. Um, but I hope Tom Brady walks into Lincoln Financial Field, sees that Super Bowl banner, and uh, maybe maybe just has to run to the bathroom a little bit and uh, gets even more terrified because this is the first time that the Patriots are coming to Philadelphia in quite some time and uh, definitely the first time since the Super Bowl. So that banner has not been seen by uh, the New England Patriots yet. A Matisse Thibault block and then charge alert. Just absolutely. You love to see it. You, do, you really do. Um, yeah, I, I wonder what uh, what plan he has in his TB12 program that's totally not a cult and totally <laughs> isn't him doping. And it's totally legal, you know. Totally above water. Not why, it's not why the Patriots uh, pay him a little bit less than a, a normal franchise quarterback yeah, it's, gets paid. It's not why his nutrition life coach wasn't being paid like $600 million. Yes. Mm. Not not like it's the team's regim- you know, health regimen or anything, but... Weird. We'll have a uh, situation. A deep dive into this game on on Saturday, but tons of baseball news has been coming out. Matt today, uh, or l- late last night, I should say, it was officially announced. But he was introduced today. Gabe Kapler, your I'm new. I'm sorry, uh, but Matisse Thibel is just, just <laughs> he's just stupid. Like every time I watch him, <laughs> we had the, we're obviously recording while the Sixers game yes. is on. Uh, Gabe Kapler, your new San Francisco Giants manager. Uh, it was, you know, Farhan Zahidi talked about how they contacted the Phillies and the Phillies, you know, gave kind of their, their seal of approval for, for Gabe. And we wish Gabe nothing but the best. It's going to be <laughs> obviously not when he's playing the Phillies, but uh, Gabe does come back with the Giants uh, August 7th to the 10th, I believe, of this upcoming season. And Jason Stark pointed out on Twitter, ironically enough, that is alumni weekend. <laughs> wow. You know, um, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, Giants the team outside the Yankees and the Nats and the Braves that I think I hate the most. Um, and a lot of that just goes back to playoff uh, matchups. Um, he fits in great, I think, in San Francisco because he's just like – He's a West, He's a West Coast guy. At the, at the end of the day, I think you even – you look at his skin tone. The dude is meant to be in the sun. Um <laughs> Yeah, I I don't really have any negative feeling towards uh, Gabe Kapler. I don't think he really, I think he did anything that would make me like dislike him as a manager, as as a person per se. Um, I think he's just kind of a weird character. I, it was a strange fit, and my contention with him has always been that I think he was hired to do a different job than what he ended up having to do. You know, I think he was brought in more as a uh, you're going to be leading the kids out there and trying to identify and grow like young professionals. And within a season and a half was having to build a contender and manage a contender and manage big egos in a locker room and, um, you know, kind of foster a, a different kind of team. And I think that's it's always a difficult task. So I think he, in a way, got a short end of the stick in Philly um, in some sense. But I I got, always got the feeling that he was a little out of his, his depth. And maybe this is just the experience he needed to become, you know, a good manager. It's, again, talk about this with player development a lot i think it can also be the same with with managers and coaches that 
your first job isn't always the one that you do for the rest of your life and do particularly well. Sometimes you need to fail to learn, and maybe you know that was uh, that was what Gabe did while he was here. But it's an interesting job in the sense that the Giants, a little bit like the Phillies, uh, you know, when, he, when especially when he took over, are in a sort of a rebuild mm-hmm. frame of mind. Um, so I am curious to see kind of how that goes because uh, the Giants typically too are like. They've been like clinging on to being like an yeah. average to above average team, and I kind of wonder the direction that they're gonna go now. Too. They are kind of like entering twenty twelve Phillies mode. Yeah, like they're still paying Buster Posey, uh, Brandon Belt, uh, Brandon Crawford, like all the guys from that World Series run. They still owe them a ton of money. Johnny Cueto, Jeff Samarja in there as well, two free agent guys that they kind of brought in to, you know, extend their quote-unquote run that didn't quite go as planned. But I agree, I'm going to be intrigued to see how Gabe kind of handles it where it's not kind of a win-now pressure mode just yet for the Giants. And, and I think that was a difficult situation to, to find himself in. And I think, too, you know, from the very first day, he was always kind of in an uphill battle. Um, and part of that was he brought it himself, but... I do think, uh, I, I just think his delivery has always been weird. He's always felt like a guy that's trying to sell you something. And it's just like, I, it's just, it's, it, it got a little too much. Or maybe even just a little old. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wish him success. Not too much though, because it's the Giants. And I don't particularly care for the, the Giants very much. <laughs> um, so I wouldn't mind it if he like had a good like two or three years there and like went like almost anywhere else <laughs> and had success. Because I really don't want the Giants to be good. Now, uh, some actual Phillies news that has surfaced uh, within the past couple of days. Uh, It was reported. I'm blanking on who actually reported this, but uh, they did say that MLB executives across the league believe that one of Mookie Betts, Francisco Lindor, and or Chris Bryant will be traded this offseason. I will take my pants off of Chris Bryant, tell you that much. <laughs> and I mean that as a player and as a man, because he is very handsome. We need more hot guys in the Phillies. That, that was, sorry. That we, was... got, we have a great crew rolling here. We have lots of chads. Uh, Chris Bryant can join that lineup easy. That was my, my question for you. Of the three, how would you kind of rank? You know they the... called it Murderer's Row? We could become Chad's Row. And... Uh, <laughs> Chad's Landing? Yes, we need Chad's Landing in Philly. Uh, Of those three, if you had to kind of put them in order of how you'd rank where you'd want to go after them, where would you go? I would go Chris Bryant, not because he's handsome. Um, I think his position, too, is a little more of need, and he's... I think he's a little more versatile than everyone else. It's a short list, but everyone else on that list. Um, I would go Mookie second just because I know, and we actually talked about the outfield a little bit. I'm a little concerned about the outfield, only that it feels like Bryce is our only known, like, I want an all, I want all-stars in every right. position. You need right? blue-chip players. And just personally, like, even McCutcheon this year was not, like, really at an all-star level. And I, that's nothing against McCutcheon. I like him. I think he's great. And I think what he does even, you know, in the, uh, in like, the locker room, in, in the clubhouse is also really important. You can't understate that. Correct. Yeah. Totally and, agree. you know, like, I I love Hazley. Like, I, I love that we have, like, options. But it feels like 
if you have the if you have Mookie Betts sitting there, like I'm sorry, like, Mookie in center, Bryce in right, like, clutch and left. I feel like because the Red Sox kind of had an underwhelming season, and Mookie did to an extent as well, that everyone's forgotten how good Mookie yeah. Betts is, and that he was like he like him and Shroud were one A one B, you know, for like best player in the league. And it's also hilarious to me that the Red Sox are just kind of pitching this as. They can't afford Mookie Betts. Could you imagine? You know why Liverpool's got a lot of money to spend this summer, Kyle, and I'm not kidding, and I think that's part of it. Could you imagine this scenario happening here where you have this blue-chip player like a Mookie Betts and John Middleton is just like, yeah, we can't afford him, so... John Middleton's a busy, busy man. He's, he spent a lot of time overseas. he got big moves to make. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely shocking, and... It's they've sort of buried themselves a little bit with with a lot of the contracts they've doled out. Now it seals. I think they're they're cleaning up their mess. I think the Red Sox are looking at it that not necessarily that Mookie Betts isn't worth the money, just that the money that they're going to tie up into him is ultimately going to be irrelevant because they don't think they're going to be the competitive type team that's worthy right. of paying that type of. If that makes sense, like the it's not worth it because they're not going to be competitive how they want to be. And if that means you lose Mookie, like I don't I don't know. Like that just seems like a, to me it seems like a mistake. Agreed. You know? I, I, the only issue is that I think I don't know any team with a pulse will also be interested in everyone <laughs> on this list, and I don't know. Um, I I just don't, especially if you're talking about trading. I, I just don't know what assets we have to trade, and I think there's teams that could beat our even best best offers and i don't even necessarily want to be moving assets away because one i think we need to have young players that could have potential to fill roles in the team in the future and also we need more than just outfield players right like we need pitching like that is can't lose sight of that either that that is the ultimate goal and if you're going to be making trades this offseason i think Priority-wise, at least positions is pitching. If you're if you're going to be moving any assets, whether they're prospects or whether they're the current, you know, on your roster, needs to be towards pitching, and um, that's that's a big area of concern as well. But yeah, I mean, you add any of those guys to this team, I'm I'm torqued about it. Like I'm not, I don't want to come across as I'm like turning my nose up. I just think um, it's a little bit of fantasy land, just a little bit. I would love. Francisco Lindor here. Yeah, I mean they, he is my number one. He is twenty five years old, like, and he's been to four All Star games. Yeah, you can't. And yeah, it's weird. You know what happens when you start just playing players when they're young? It turns out they might be good. <laughs> <laughs> now, with any of these trades, you're going to have to give up some sort of quote unquote, you know, top prospect that you have. Chris Bryant immediately in my head. You're you're including Alec Bohm in that deal. Francisco Lindor, you're more than likely including Bryson Stott in that deal, which I'm fine with because Bryson Stott, a college player, a uh, little bit older than you know most guys coming into the draft. Lindor's 25. That is your long-term shortstop moving forward. Um, and that also frees up Gene to either go to third or second, wherever you do. and or be a trade piece, right? Or Cesar be a trade piece, like right? That's- so. I'm all aboard the Lindor train because I'm just I'm having visions of Lindor and Bryce and JT leading the charge for this team with Aaron Nola and whatever other star starting pitcher they bring in and you know a lot of people don't get to see Francisco Lindor because he does play in Cleveland 
kid is a rock star. Like he is, he's one of those polarizing figures in this league that kind of moves the needle exponentially. And if this team has a, a core moving forward for the next half decade at least of prime Francisco Lindor, prime Bryce Harper, prime JT, it's pretty damn. Good. I'm like salivating thinking about it. And that you know, also helps defensively as well, which exactly. is an area the Phillies also need to prove on. Which will come with pitching, but yeah, you add some of that quality. That's that's going to help the the infield quite a bit. And the only reason I'd probably put Chris Bryant number two is because he's going to be 28, which a lot of people, myself included, didn't realize Chris Bryant was yeah. that old. Um, he's going to be due for a big contract in two years. So is Lindor. But when you think about it, you're going to pay Lindor when he's 27, where you'd be paying Chris Bryant when he's 29, 30. Uh, so it's a, a bit of a, a difference there. Um, but any of those guys, if the Phillies end up getting them, we're probably going to end up losing one of those, you know, high end prospects that we love. Never going to see Alec Bohm as a Philly, am I? <laughs> <laughs> I need Alec Bohm on this roster opening day. The way he has been playing for Team yeah, USA good luck. and. Good luck. Kyle, you know, you have to be, uh, you have to be 27 to get a call up to the Phillies. <laughs> he is just torching the world. And then uh, today. Bob Nightingale tweets, uh, Scott Boris believes that the Phillies earned enough money off the signing of Bryce Harper last year to pay for his contract for the next two and a half years. About $65 million, the Phillies' attendance increased by 569,297 fans, an increase of 26.4%. So in just Bryce Harper, like jersey sales, merch, all that good stuff, the Phillies gained back two and a half years of his contract oh, that's like that's cool uh let's win <laughs> let's let's put some of that money to use exactly. and uh recycle it <laughs> which is kind of what i'm getting from bob nightingale here is that they're going to take that money and, and run with it this is boris saying you know <laughs> would you like to to stamp another on my frequent flyer card <laughs> let's uh let's punch out another hole in scott boris's client list and uh and I think the fifth one is free, or at least at a heavy discount. So let's I let's add so. on here. Uh, now, Jason Stark tweeted uh, yesterday morning, this being on November 12th, people keep asking what I expect the Phillies to do. Here's what I've heard. Number one, add at least two starters. One big multi-year deal. The others, S in parentheses, trade slash upside slash one-year deal types. Number two, stay in the mix on Cole would take an Arietta-like scenario to sign him, i.e. them being the last team standing. Understandable, but it's Garrett Cole, guys. Like, he's arguably the best pitcher on the planet. Like, whoever is feeding that information out there, <coughs> Andy McPhail, uh, let's, let's relax a little bit. And then uh, Jason Stark says, beyond the rotation, Philly's still trying to trade Michael Franco. More likely to non-tender him, so then he'd just be off the books. Ditto on Cesar Hernandez. Less likely to non-tender him. Uh, then they'll add at third base, second base, and or center field. Scott Kingry bounces to the spot they don't fill. Shop for bounce-back relievers. And then he mentions Dylan Batances, who you and I both would love to see here. Yeah, a lot, a lot of smoke around uh, Batances. I also saw a few articles talking about uh, D.D. Gregorius as yes. well, um, which which we've mentioned. So it's it's good. I 
can't overstate it how big of an offseason this is for the Phillies. And the Garrett Cole stuff isn't totally surprising. I just think I had the gut feeling about the Yankees and the Angels being, you know, the, the lead pack for him. And honestly, like, I don't even think you really outbid either of those teams. Um, both of them are, I wouldn't say Angels are desperate. I wouldn't say the Yankees are necessarily desperate. Um, but you know that if they're will, if they're interested, they're they're willing to spend. Yeah. Um, I know that they didn't quite do that last offseason, but I think that's probably because, and rightly so, when you look at the season they had, despite all the injuries, they, they felt they didn't really need Manny and, and Bryce and Corbin at the price that, that was listed. Maybe the, the Corbin thing, they'd probably take that one back and, and probably give an improved offer, but um, do you think they'll make the same mistake this offseason about you know, kind of biding the time? No, I think they'll, they'll, they'll pay what Garrett's asking. And uh, I kind of wish we were a little further up in, in the priority list, but what are you, you going to do? Happens. What are you going to do? Now, when I read this tweet, um, I kind of broke it down in my head. The one big multi-year deal, I immediately flipped my switch to, okay, they're either focusing on Steven Strasburg or Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler terrifies me because he's a guy that has had two good back-to-back second halves, but other than that, He's been such an up-and-down guy, and to give somebody like him like a five-year, $115, $125 million contract, that scares the living hell out of me. Straz, I'd be okay signing because we know what he is. Sure, he's a little bit older, but I think he's gotten better with age. Um, so those are the, the two big multi-year deal type pitchers that came to mind there. And then trade upside guys. It came out today that the Cleveland Indians have a, a no-untouchable kind of uh, stance about this offseason, so everybody's available, including All-Star Game MVP Shane Bieber. I would love Shane Bieber in Philadelphia. Corey Kluber also comes to mind. Bit of an aging veteran coming off of an injury. You might be able to get him a little bit cheaper. And then uh, I also thought of John Gray from the Colorado Rockies, a guy that I absolutely love. I think he would be one of the biggest beneficiaries of getting out of Colorado. Everybody talks about Herman Marquez. He's younger. He's going to cost you more. But if you can trade for John Gray and, and bring him to Philly and get him out of Colorado, I think that'd be a huge, huge uh, boost to this rotation. And then the one-year deal type immediately screams Cole Hamels to me. Like I think the smoke around Cole Hamels coming back to the Phillies right now is almost as equal as the smoke that was around Deshaun Jackson coming back to the or Cole Hamels coming back to the Phillies, I should say, uh, equal to Deshaun Jackson coming back to the Eagles. Cole Hamels out for the Eagles, okay. <laughs> they I could like use it. him probably. Yeah. He's he's pretty tall. He could he just throw it up to him, see what he can do. Boom. Um, in the glove. Yeah, I, I think uh, I would love to have Cole back. I think everyone would, but I, I'm I'm willing to just put my hands underneath my knees and just wait and see what the Phillies are going to offer me this offseason. That's that's where I'm at at least. The uh, the GM meeting started this week, so rumblings are going to start. Uh, Astros, baby, a lot of trouble. That was the next thing. Our Astros. <laughs> Talking about teams that we can't stand anymore. Uh, you know, officially canceled. <laughs> beyond. So if you if you live under a rock and don't know what happened, the Astros have uh, been caught stealing signs with the use of technology during their 2017 World Series run. This includes during the playoffs against the Yankees, who the Yankees lost to the Astros in the ALCS. Uh, some Yankees players took to Twitter, 
with their confusion and kind of disappointment. John Boy did a fantastic I, I breakdown. Felt bad. Me too. For Yankees players. That is a sentence I never thought I would vocalize Ever. in a recorded f- f- setting. Yeah. John Boy did a fantastic breakdown uh, of everything. The Astros essentially, for you know, one game at least, when off-speed pitches were being thrown, it was literally a split second. They knew that it was being thrown, and they were banging a bat against the bat rack or against a trash can or something. It was a trash can. Um, the Yankees had, had said that they thought they heard whistling in the dugout during the ALCS. A.J. Hinch laughed at it. He thought it was crazy. Uh, no, buddy. You've been doing this for years. Like, to to kind of laugh that off and be as smug and pompous as you have looked during this past World Series run, too. Not putting Garrett Cole in and, and sticking to your guns there. And now you get caught stealing signs. Like, the Astros absolutely suck. <laughs> this is, like, the ultimate... Um... We were all rooting for you. Dot gif. Like yes. we, I was. We were all so ready to jump aboard. They, they're like such a feel good team because they've like sucked for my entire life, and they kind of changed the game. You know, in this entire decade, with how they looked at players and player development and analytics and what they brought to the game. And um, now, as it turns out, from top to bottom, they suck. Like they're just bad people, <laughs> and they're cheaters, oh. and they're not fun to root for. Um, so I feel bad for the players, some of them, not really. <laughs> um, it's just, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I was stunned when I watched the, uh, the breakdown video, because you can literally hear the banging going on, and, uh, on Twitter, Tyler Talk Sports at sports underscore talker one had a, a fun little tweet thread from, uh, the, the postseason splits of six Astros players. Um, so Jose Altuve, his home, uh, you know, stats, a slash line of 472 batting average, 513 OBP, a, <laughs> over a thousand slugging percentage, over 1500 OPS, 17 hits, six home runs, 12 RBIs, his away splits, a 143 batting average. <laughs> A 268 OBP, a 229 slugging percentage, a 497 OPS, five hits, one home run, two RBIs. Jose Altuve was your MVP, I believe. If I'm not, or no, it was uh, George Springer, but Jose Altuve was the ALCS yes. MVP. This is why you can't trust dudes under five five eight. Even you know, like you can't, you just can't trust them. Carlos Correa. Home splits, a 371, 421, 743 slash line, along with a uh, over 1,100 OPS, 13 hits, 3 home runs, 10 RBIs. Away splits, a slash line of 211 batting average, 231 OBP, 395 slugging, a 626 OPS, 8 hits, 2 home runs, 4 RBIs. That's like complete night and day numbers. Alex Bregman, 273 batting average, 342 OBP, 515 slugging percentage, 857 OPS, 9 hits, 2 home runs, 6 RBIs. His away slash line, a 154 batting average, a 175 OBP, 
333 slugging percentage, 508 OPS, six hits, two home runs, four RBIs. Brian McCann, this one is a <laughs> I hate doozy. Brian McCann. <laughs> His home splits a 300 batting average, a 382 OBP, 467 slugging, 849 OPS, nine hits, one home run, seven RBIs. His away splits a .037 batting average, a 161 OBP, a .037 slugging percentage, a .198 OPS, one hit, zero home runs, zero RBIs. Yuli Gurriel, home splits, 303 batting average, 361 OBP, 576 slugging, 937 OPS, 10 hits, two home runs, five RBIs. Yuli on the road was probably the most consistent player. A 306 batting average, so he raised his batting average on the road. A 324 OBP, 472 slugging, 797 OPS, 11 hits, 0 home runs, 3 RBIs. And then Evan Gaddis, their DH, a 300 batting average, 464 OBP, 550 slugging, over 1,000 OPS, 6 hits, 1 home run, 3 RBIs at home. On the road, a 200 batting average, 333 OBP, 200 slugging, 533 OPS, two hits, no home runs, no RBIs. That was reacting to not only that, but Mark L. Fultz just shot one of the ugliest shots I've ever seen in my life. Um, wow. I like. It's uh, it's disappointing because, like I said, the Astros were they were a feel good story, yep. and it was a lot of like fun and exciting, and the Sports Illustrated cover kind of coming to life. And, and they're like a team that, you know, again, has sucked my entire life. So like, I didn't even feel like bad about them having success. It was like I, I don't really have any animosity towards them. Like, you know, they, and they had like the uh, the rebrand and all that. Like, felt good, and now uh, I. It's like they don't even exist to me anymore. Give them back. Oh. Give them to the Expos. <laughs> like, honestly, like, relocate. Their I owner think. stinks. Give them. Give them the death penalty. <laughs> they have. They have a a alleged domestic abuser in their bullpen, who they were very smug about. By yes. The <laughs> Ended up firing their assistant GM. Jesus, man. They lose the World Series because they refused to pitch Garrett Cole. And now they're caught stealing signs during the one year that they win the World Series because they're using technology to do so. Shameful. Shameful Terrible. Are we banning the Astros from the podcast? Yeah, they're hashtag canceled, I tell you that much. They are beyond canceled. It's it's a bummer, though, for real. It stinks because there are a lot of fun players on that team. And, like, they're they're fun to watch. And now, you know, they're they're the Patriots of uh, MLB because they got caught cheating. And I'm going to be very interested to see what MLB does uh, to kind of lock down on this and see what they do in terms of punishment. Because, you know, this led to them winning a World Series. It's not like this was just one thing and uh, it went away. No, they did this throughout an entire season and, you know, used technology to do so. It is against the rules. This is a written rule in baseball, not an unwritten rule. And, uh... It led to them winning a World Series, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. We will keep you guys updated on all things hot stove uh, all off season long as well. Flyers playing well, keeping things alive in overtime. Down, down one nothing. Down one nothing right now, but uh, they love overtime, and uh, they love them a shootout this year. Good, good for them. They are thriving in the shootout, but 
I think that's all we got for you guys tonight. Uh, we'll be back on Saturday. Loaded Saturday for us. We got a lacrosse stuff happening. We got blue coats happening. We've got a podcast happening. So stay up to date. Follow us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. And uh, you can stay up to date on all things Philly sports there. Check out our friends at Design Tree. A lot of stuff rolling out uh, in the near, near future. Use those promo codes that they're tweeting out. Got a lot of stuff coming for the holidays. So just search Underground Sports Philadelphia to get all your merch. And as always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Douche Arms Pro Foot, Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Automo, Mark Ronchetti, CPA LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews. We said your review should be this on Goal Line. Do it this week, too, for us. Leave us songs we should sync Dak Prescott up to for hashtag Dak Dances to Anything. That hashtag is absolutely hilarious. If you haven't checked it out already, make sure you do so because I laughed my ass off for a solid 10 minutes just looking at different uh, songs Dak Prescott was dancing to. You can also follow us on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Stream us on the iHeartRadio app and subscribe to us there. We're on the TuneIn app. And we are on Radio.com. It's going to be a busy week for us, but we're excited. Let's have ourselves a solid second half of the week, and uh, we'll catch you guys again on Saturday. So for everybody here at Underground Sports Philadelphia, for Matt, I'm Kyle. This has been episode 184. We are signing off. Peace.